Hello everyone, you're listening to another episode of the Wild Voices Projects podcast with me, Matt Williams. I hope you're doing well and you're getting your nature fix as summer turns to autumn. On the day that I'm recording this, it's just been declared the joint ever hottest summer in the UK and the hottest ever summer in England on record. Today, I'm in conversation with Mercy Karayuki, who is the Local Engagement and Empowerment Coordinator for BirdLife Africa. In this conversation, she tells the story of how she fell in love with birds in her home country of Kenya, and how she developed her leadership skills at an early stage by setting up an environment group at her school. Mercy also explains the community projects that she helps to coordinate in various African countries in order to create habitat for bird species. And she tells us why she thinks nature conservation needs more women leaders, and she shares some of the lessons that she has drawn from the women who have inspired her. Mercy also tells us about Jabini Woolcrafters, NWC, which is a youth-led conservation-focused co-op that aims at building an economically viable organisation, while at the same same time driving the conservation of the Kinangop Plateau grasslands, which is home to the critically endangered Sharps longclaw bird species. So the Njabini Woolcrafters provides training and skills development in the areas of wool product design, spinning and weaving to young people in the Kinangop area and works closely with farmers to enhance their income from sheep farming. That's just one of the projects that Mercy's involved in, and you can hear more about that one and many others in the podcast. And you can find out more specifically about the Woolcrafters Cooperative at www.rufford.org forward slash projects forward slash mercy underscore karaoke. And that's Mercy, M-E-R-C-Y, underscore K-A-R-I-U-K-I. And you can also visit the Woolcrafters Cooperative website, which is www.nwc.co.ke, for Kenya, forward slash index.php, where it probably works without the forward slash index bit at the end there as well. Right, I think that's everything I need to say about this episode. And as usual, just to remind you that you can subscribe to the Wild Voices Project podcast in iTunes and in Stitcher. Or you can follow us on Twitter, where I usually tweet out at least a link to the latest episode, if not much else, each week, at Wild Voices Proj. And you can also find all of the episodes so far of the podcast at www wildvoicesproject.org and just a reminder that uh, we're part of an international project called Wild Voices Media which bridges uh, emerging conservationists with aspiring storytellers like myself I'd probably tick both of those boxes there and you can find out more about the global project at wild-voices.org right I think that's probably about everything that I need to say Let's dive in to this fascinating episode with Mercy Karayuki.
Voices Project podcast and welcome. Um, I want to start by asking you a question that I often start by asking, which is where did your interest in the outdoors or wildlife or nature begin? And is there a particular moment that you remember that was important in shaping that interest? Oh, yeah. Well, my interest actually began when I was in high school. That is between, uh, is it between 15 to 18 years. So, mm. <clears throat> so what I did, uh, mostly in Kenya, uh, we have different uh, groups or different uh, uh, clubs in high schools. So in my high school, I was, uh, it was, uh, we were the pioneers. That means we were the first class to start the Form 1. Our system is Form 1 to Form 4. So we were the first class. And uh, because of uh, the, we didn't have any experience, we didn't have anyone to learn from the previous classes. Mm-hmm. So we, for me, for me, I felt like uh, we needed as a school, we needed a scouts group or scouts uh, club, just to for a start, just to be able to at least make the compound, the school compound clean, and to to do activities such as raising the flag, lowering the flag, and taking the responsibilities. So uh, as that when uh, that time came, I was able to actually work or uh, work with the different students or uh, influence different students. At that time, we were about five people. So in one of our responsibilities was to just, uh, as I said, clear or clean clean up the environment, picking up papers, slashing the compound, and from that, that was I was able to to pick up my passion. I was able to know that okay, my actually my passion is more of having a clean environment and conserving the the environment or conserving anything that is or nature that is around us so i will say my interest starts actually there and then after that of course after high school i were enrolled into university university and uh, it is in that that i was able to to pick or to be able to do a course in environmental resource conservation and that was actually a good opportunity for me to now learn broad and open up my mind in terms of learning more it's not just about what where you live it's more about take, taking care of your your home area your school or where you're working or in general even the country so i was able to pick up and uh, work with different and then in the in the university i've also joined the environmental club which is also kept on or made me continue to to do what i like to do in terms of conservation and uh, keeping an area clean and also, and in the, in the process, well, in the university, I was able to uh, meet or go to different workshops and uh, conferences. And then in the process, I was able to, to meet one of the conservation groups in Kenya, which is called uh, Nature Kenya. And my interest now, that, that's when my interest of bird watching or uh, just going out to have fun and appreciate appreciate nature and appreciate the beauty and mm. the birds how the birds are so beautiful so that's where my interest now it was like my, my interest become became more okay so just just yeah. going back to school were, were, were you involved in setting up the scout club yes i was involved in setting up the scouts club but as I said, we were the first one, and I didn't actually have any experience with the scouts and all that because in, primary, in my primary school, I wasn't involved in that. So this one was a totally new new thing for me and a new area for me. So it was it was more of start, first starting to just have a group of students and doing small things at a time. And uh, I will say by the time I left in my fourth form, uh, for the last four, after the four years, uh, we actually didn't have 
I wasn't able to achieve much in terms of like a big project or that, but at least I'm proud that I was able to start something. I was able to start a, a scout club and by now, or but in, until, until now they are progressing well. So we didn't, we didn't have a mentor. Let me say we di- I didn't have a mentor or I didn't have someone to look after. Yeah, it may sound like a strange yeah. question, but I'm just wondering whether or not during during setting up that scout club, you learned mm-hmm. any you learned any important skills that helped for your work today, which is about organising people around yes. projects and yes. issues. Yes, yes, yes. I think that was the most of the thing that I learned because I was able to. It's like managing or the leadership. My leadership skills came in came in like I was able to shape up my leadership skills and I was able to guide other students and making sure that I mean making or recognizing that I'm in charge or um the other students who are behind me are looking after me. Although I didn't have that much support in terms of someone else to look after. But for me it was a very good experience in the end. And was it something that the school and the teachers were supportive of as well? Yeah, they were supportive, but I wouldn't say they were like hundred percent supportive because even the as I said, it was a, it was just a it's a we were the first class, and so I think most of the students or most of the teachers were still trying to figure out how the school is going to be managed or how the school is going to be run, and we had a lot of changes in terms of teachers were coming in one term or one semester, then going going again, then having a, having new student having new teachers, so it was more. Of, it was a, challenge, a challenging point for, for us as students because you had to uh, get used to different students. If like after every year you have new faces, you have new teachers, so you have to go back to trying to learn about them and all that. So it wasn't at that time. It wasn't. We didn't have. Or I didn't have much support from them. Okay. And yeah. just, just touching on the, you said it was through your involvement with Nature Kenya that you began to develop your interest in birds and wildlife. I'm wondering, was there yeah. a particular, are there any particularly memorable moments of seeing birds or other wildlife that stood out to you or that really helped to fuel that interest? Yes, yes. Uh, what, actually, I would say uh, I, joined, I joined Nature Kenya in 20, 2010. Written, yeah, 2010. And this was just through, through going to, there was a conference or a workshop at the National Museums of Kenya. And as a student, as a student, I just uh, decided to go and listen since it's under, it was something to do with the conservation and environment issues in Kenya. So when I first met in their booth, Mr. Uh, Kenya in their booth was able to introduce me to a membership uh, organization. So he was able to pay and join, be a member. And uh, the Nature Kenya uh, usually have uh, weekly bird walks every Wednesday and uh, every third Sunday of the month. Mm-hmm. So I started joining. I started joining the team uh, in these bird walks of, uh, during the weekend, during the weekday on Wednesday. And uh, I would say just taking the binoculars as a first timer, just taking the binoculars and be able to really focus and see the bird, like the beauty, the beautiful, the colors that they have, the it's so I don't know how to put it, but it's so it was so I don't know, enjoyable. It was so I don't know how to put it, but it was so uh, breathtaking in terms of you just initially people just see birds like oh they're just birds they're just the same color they're just there to to be to be seen and all that. But once you see the bird, you're able to appreciate. You're able to know that wow, you actually have more than 
birds have different colors, not just one color. And they're beautiful. They have different songs. They have different shapes, eyes, and all that. So for me, that the first day that I went for the bird walk, it was so refreshing. It was so enjoyable. And since then, I'm able to now join Nature Kenya members and even other people who are interested in bird watching. And I'm able to to get or to be able to see more birds or new birds which you call life like new new birds that you haven't seen in your life so for me it's so bird watching is something that i enjoy and it relaxes my mind and one of my favorite birds is called a fire finch mm-hmm. so yeah the small small red red or maroon bird very beautiful to me the tiny birds are more beautiful than the big ones <laughs> Um, and uh, were you were you living in Nairobi at this time? And if so, were these bird walks in the city, or did they take you out to the countryside, yeah. or where were you going for these? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. By that time, I was living in Nairobi, and uh, Nature Kenya, the bird walks, the way they they structured their bird walks on during the week weekdays, that is on Wednesday, from nine, let's say from nine a.m. to one p.m. They usually do the bird walks within Nairobi or within the city. Just Mm-hmm. areas around like they just take maybe 30 minutes travel or 10 minutes just around Nairobi but the potluck uh, potluck one which is every third Sunday of the month they usually go outside Nairobi so it can take like two hours travel to the site one and a half hour to the site so they take people outside Nairobi okay um, yeah, and, uh-huh. no I was um I was going to I was going to ask as well. Um, so I know that at one point you went to Canada, and I was trying to place whether or not this was that was before, and was that during your degree or was that later? That that no, made? that one was that one is actually immediately my immediately after my degree after I graduated. So uh, because after after I graduated in twenty I graduated in twenty eleven June. But before that, I had completed my studies in in December 2010. 2010. Mm-hmm. So what I did between 20 between December and uh, June, what I used to do, June 2011, instead of staying at home because I hadn't like graduated, didn't have the certificate, I used to go to National Museums of Kenya, and where that's where Nature Kenya offices are. And because I had already had the friends and had networks, so I used to just go to their offices. Just having a chat, have just to, for a visit, just to chat with the people and have a conversation, or just to be out there instead of being in the house. So in the process, one of my friends was able to introduce to me to one of the local conservation groups, which is called Kenvo. Kenvo is Ken, uh, Kijabe Environment Volunteers. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's located in the central part of Kenya. So they, what they usually do, they take volunteers from around all over Kenya. And uh, Kenvo partners with Canada Wild Youth Program. And the program is usually six-month program. So the volunteers are taken through a mentorship program or they are supposed to volunteer for a period of time until they are selected or until the selection uh, process kicks in. And once you are selected, you're able to go to Canada. You're able to be enrolled in in the program officially for six months. Right. So that's what I actually did. I went to that uh, into their offices on their area, volunteered with the, with the communities and with the staff members of Kenvo. 
And basically what we were doing is uh, tree planting or preparing the tree, uh, tree nurseries, going to, to the forest and uh, uh, cleaning up or picking any rubbish or waste. And also meeting with the local communities in their meetings and people. It was more of working with the communities and understanding different dynamics in a community setup. Sorry, is that and, what is that what you uh, were doing in Canada, or is this still in? No, this so is this still is still in, in. Right. This, okay. This is still yeah. This is still in Kenya with Kenvo. Uh huh. Yeah. So after after once you've been selected or once you you've been enrolled or officially been enrolled to this program, you the program runs for six months. So what I did, uh, I was able to go to Winnipeg. We were a group of uh, uh, 18 youth mm-hmm. or 18 young people, both men and, and women. So we were able to go to Canada. One group went to Ottawa and the other group went to Winnipeg. So I was in the group of the Winnipeg one. So, and the idea is to be, to be working with the host organization in Canada for the three months. So for me, I was working with the Winnipeg I uh, went to Winnipeg University yeah. for the three months. Yeah, for the three months. And uh, I, was, uh, I was working with the Department of Environment, or Sustainable Environment. And uh, most, of, well, most of our activity, or most of the things that I was working on is uh, uh, sensitizing the, the students to do uh, waste, waste separation. So work on waste, waste management. Yeah, waste management. Let's say waste management. So I was able to, during lunchtime or during their class session, we were able to have a, there's one day we had a discussion with the students, and the other time was going either to public or common places where students are, and just trying to show them that this is where you're supposed to put your waste, your solid waste or your food waste, and all that. And um, through that experience in Canada, what, what do you think were some of the most important skills that you learned? Uh, most of, one of the skills that I learned, again, was uh, leadership. Let me say leadership actually really came out because mm-hmm. I, was working, I was working with the, with the counterpart. We used to call them counterparts. So when you go to Canada as a Kenyan, you're given another counterpart, a Canadian. So at that point, I was able to realize, okay, uh, I'm here for three months and I'm supposed to uh, do one, two, three activities that I was supposed to do, and uh, I was able to take the leadership and be able to work, to work with uh, my counterpart, and uh, also knowing that this is a new, totally new area for me, or totally new country, and it was since it was my first time, I was able to now uh, put back the shyness, or be able to now know that yes, this is an opportunity that I really need to take charge in, and I really need to. To, to showcase or really need to show my, my skills or my leadership skills to the other students and to my counterparts. So that is one of the main skills that I was able to get and also the skill of uh, events, uh, organizing, organizing events, mm-hmm. events and planning. Yeah, and planning. What sort of events were you organizing? Like for, for example, the set, uh, in, the, in, in Canada, I was able to set up the talk they said I was. Uh, we had a talk. There was one time we had a talk with the students. So mm-hmm. trying to know what is the right time, trying to know the number of students, and uh, how the conversation or how the talk is going to happen, and also with other with other participants, with other participants, we were able to have different events. For example, there was a day we had a match for the 360. 
Mm-hmm. The yeah. 360 year, 360 year. So I was able to like just trying to organize my team or organize the other team team members. Was this around climate change? Yeah, this was around climate ah, change. Ah, 350, yeah. yeah, 350. 3 350, yeah. So I said 360, 350. I knew what you meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um and while yeah, you so were I'm... while you were there, were there any um were you kind of restricted to the university or again did you manage to get out and see any wildlife or birds that particularly stuck with you was particularly memorable um no from during my uh, during that period we were not really given the opportunity to to go out and to do bird watching apart from because we were being hosted by families or mm-hmm. homes so apart from if your family or if the host family is going out for a picnic or going out for nature walk and all that then that will have the opportunity and uh for me yes i had uh, my family or the mom that i was living with she was able to take me and my other team or my other counterpart for we went to lake is it lake winnipeg yeah lake winnipeg mm-hmm. yeah and uh, i didn't see a lot of uh, biodiversity or maybe i saw a lot of biodiversity biodiversity but i think with that time i was not i was not so keen or i didn't have someone to really tell me okay this is this species this is this species but one species that i like in canada is the blue jay ah yeah yeah, yeah. i've seen blue jays myself yes, in canada yeah, i really yeah, like them yeah <laughs> yeah so that is one that i up to now it still sticks in my mind i'm like yes i've seen the blue jay it's very beautiful <laughs> and so when you when you came back to Kenya was that when you became involved in in bird life when did that start Yeah uh, so the program as i said the program runs for 6 months 3 months in Canada and then 3 months in Kenya mm-hmm. so in Kenya again you are put in a different community not your community like not where you come from in a different community you're hosted in a different family and you do you as you mingle with the community in that area So again I stayed in a different family for three months. Mm. And uh yeah I did different activities from educa- from creating awareness to the school kids that is primary student secondary students doing landscaping and cleaning up the town or the city cent- the center to that area. And then immediately after that that was in 22 later that was in 2012. Yeah. 2012 March that's when the program came to an end officially 2012 March I stayed a bit home for a few months until September so that's when I joined Badlife in September 2012 Okay Yeah and so I wanted to move on to your work with Birdlife next and I was wondering if you could tell us what what your work for Birdlife involves and maybe whether you can illustrate that through an example so perhaps I I was reading about your work on a project around mm-hmm. Lake Victoria with local conservation groups maybe that's a good example or maybe you want to pick a different one Okay yeah so yeah actually uh, as a I, jo- I joined Birdlife in 2012 but uh, that time I joined as an intern Mhm so for a few I think for one year I became an intern then a project officer but now I'm also project officer plus the local empowerment and engagement officer in Africa. Mm-hmm. So basically what that means is to provide leadership towards the, the development, implementation and monitoring of uh, the program. And uh, what I do is support effective management and coordination of Africa Afri- various Africa 
project that contributes to this program. And the program is basically, as it says, it's local empowerment or local engagement empowerment program, which is working with the local communities. And by doing so, we Bad Life work, works with the partners in different countries. Like for, in Africa, we have 24, 24 countries. So we work with the partners who work with the local communities. So, so basically what we do through the projects, through the project uh, that we work with partners, the partners are able to now work with the community groups. And in that line, we're able to now uh, be able to achieve the program's objective. So basically facilitating uh, project communication, promoting its visibility, and uh, through, uh, in, through giving inputs to project articles and information to wider community of the current conservation issues. So to give you an example, mm -hmm. like uh, the Lake Victoria project, actually it came to an end in 2015. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we were doing is the, the project was, <coughs> sorry. <coughs> so the project was conservation of the birds and the biodiversity of the Lake Victoria Basin through community-led action and sustainable development. And uh, what we were able to do is communities have were able to gain in-depth understanding of biodiversity and ecosystem that this the sites or the the, the basin provides uh, to them so and, this was and the, just just huh? before we go on could you just say a little bit about what is special or important about lake victoria and its ecosystems and what biodiversity is found there okay lake victoria is the largest tropical lake in the world uh, with the six about 68,000 uh, kilometers square and Africa's largest lake by area mm -hmm. and it's uh, it has the it has the largest freshwater fishery in the world and a massive catchment catchment area the basin the basin the, the basin has uh, for example the topic the birds that they have they have blue swallows which is vulnerable uh, which is vulnerable you have papyrus mm -hmm. yellow wabla which is also a vulnerable uh, species Shubil, yeah, papa and papyrus uh, gonolek, and also it has a congregation of water birds like uh, great cormorant. I don't know if you know these species, but yeah, great yeah, cormorant. Yeah, 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 yeah. So and uh, and this also the the basin provides livelihoods to the community. For example, the community are able to do fishing, they are able to do beekeeping around, they are able to do different activities in the lake. Okay, so it's a hugely important area for a range of a range of species, and presumably the the lake also provides important ecosystem services for the community as well, which well, relies upon the lake being in a good condition. Condition, yeah, yeah, provides uh, different ecosystem services to the community, and as they say, they do fishing, they're able to do even uh, leisure, for example, boat riding. Okay. So sorry, I think yeah. I cut you off. You're about to explain <clears throat> you're about to explain your engagement with the the local communities and and how you I think part of the project at least was around helping them to to create new market products and uh, develop I suppose for want of a better phrase more sustainable livelihoods. Yeah, I wanted to say that the communities were able to gain in-depth understanding of the biodiversity and ecosystem services in their area. Mm, yeah. And yeah, and also they were able to the the the, the awareness 
environmental awareness, they were able to understand the resources that they have. And uh, one most key important thing that we were able to do, the community, we were able to support the community to develop, communi- develop community action plans. And these action plans were actually have, they had uh, specific needs or specific actions they were supposed to do, uh, who were supposed responsible to do either the government or the community or other institutions and the time frame, time frame for these activities. So what sort of actions would be in those those plans? Would it be to do with the environment and biodiversity and therefore was it giving kind of ownership of taking care of the environment over to those communities? Yeah, it was the, the actions were from either policy work or uh, actual conservation actions in terms of either uh, <coughs> limiting people to do to do overfishing or to <coughs> to protect the the lake. Sorry, let me have a sip of water. <coughs> yeah, so the, the actions were ranging from fundraising, also fundraising, policy work, real conservation work in terms of what activities do the communities need to do. Is it uh, have laws or not policies on who is supposed to who is supposed to do fishing? What what time are they supposed to go do the fishing, or who is supposed to do, who is supposed to regulate how the fishing is done? Fundraising, also fundraising, we're able to. That's one of the action uh, action plan because some people, there are some communities or some groups had issue of uh, financial resources. So one of the action points was how did they, how will they be supported to do fundraising for a particular income generating activities that they want to do so that they can reduce the pressure on the lake resource and the resources provided by the lake. Okay, so just just to make sure that I understand properly, part of it was around helping the communities to find ways to fundraise so yeah. their live their own livelihoods were economically sustainable, which meant they weren't necessarily so dependent upon the resources of the lake and that impacting on habitats and ecosystems. Yes, yes, that's true. Yeah, that's what you, yeah. What sort of new products or new activities were you helping them to, to move into? What's new? What new what? What new products or activities were you supporting them to move into producing or doing? Like one of the communities in uh, Uganda, they were doing uh, soap, soap making. They were making soap. Mm-hmm. And that was so the, that so was a more sustainable kind of activity. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that was most sustainable because actually it's not directly linked to getting the resources from the lake. Okay, and you said so the that pro- was more. Sorry. Uh, and you said the project finished in twenty. In 2015. Eh? How yeah, how, it, how successful do you see the project as having been? Yeah, for me, the project was very successful. It was very successful because we left the community with an action plan, which were through the support of Nature Kenya. For example, Nature Kenya is, was part of this pro- project through the support of Nature Kenya or Nature Uganda, which was also part of the project, they were able to now make sure that the communities are able to, to implement or they're able to work as per the plan. And even up to now, the lake, the basin or the Lake Victoria Basin is has more, 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 more institutions or more people are aware of the issues that the lake is facing and what actions have actually been done. And the communities themselves, they're able to benefit, they're able to 
uh, proudly say that, yeah, this is uh, some of the activities that we are doing in support of the conservation of the basin. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know if you, there, there, there's a current project that I'm doing, also has almost a similar setup. Yes, I was I was about to ask what what are you working on at the moment because um I don't think I'd realized that that finished in 2015. So what what yeah, are some yeah. of the things you're working on today? So uh today currently I'm working in a project uh it's called participatory rangeland management for the benefit of pastoralists and biodiversity in the Liban Lac. Liban uh, no in the Liban plain. Liban plain is uh in Ethiopia. Okay. And what does that so mean? This, <laughs> so yeah, that's what I wanted. So though basically this means uh, the, the Liban plain has a it's a it's a grassland or it's a mm-hmm. rangeland, and uh, it's it's a good for it's a good habit, habitat for a critically endangered species called Liban lac, Liban lac or Liban lac, eh? and uh, so what the project entails is to try and conserve or try and maintain the grassland to be suitable for the species and also to support the pastoralists. Who are living in the area? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the project what it does is uh, what has what it, it it's doing. Actually, it's coming to an end also in September. But what it, the project did, uh, or what the project is currently doing, is creating callos. Callos is a local name, but basically callo means creating enclosures or uh, enclosing a part of the grassland or part of the rangeland to maintain or to be able to conserve the grass for the species. And also, and also uh, during drought, these colors have been very uh, useful to the pastoralists because once if, if, if you enclose an area and then drought comes in, these other areas that are outside the enclosures, they've been overgrazed and then the grass is probably the grass is normal. So the communities are able to come into the enclosed areas, uh, cut the grass and they're able to feed their livestock. And this was actually this was actually uh, seen during the last drought, which was very severe. That was in 2016, 2017. So they were able to the project was able to save the the livelihoods of the of the pastoralists in this in this area. So the enclosure areas are important refuges for wildlife because they preserve the grassland, but yeah. they're also they're also <clears throat> excuse me they're also important during emergency periods say of drought for the pastoralists who can go in there and use the grass that's been preserved what what sort of size are these enclosure areas they have we have different sizes we have different enclosures there's one that has 90 90 90 hectares some have 50 hectares some 40 hectares but the the, but the but the aim of the project is to have more than a thousand hectares of grassland and um, what what sort of species of bird or other wildlife are benefiting from from these enclosure areas? Basically, they are the grassland birds. Mm-hmm. So we have we have the Liban. Our main focus for this project is the Liban lark, which is critically endangered. It is the, the its population is really decreasing at a very high rate. So that's our main pro, pro, uh, our main fo- our main focus or our main species. But the other species found in the area, different different species, uh, different lack or different species. For example, there is one called Somali toad uh, lack, Somali short toad lack. Then we have the cori bastard. We have pipits, grassland pipits. 
a wide variety of grassland birds that are found in the area. Okay. And um, when you were working with the pastoralists, um, how receptive were they to the idea of creating those enclosures? And what were some of the most, not just with the pastoralists, but with the other communities you work with as well, what what are some of the most important skills that you feel you use or you need in in dealing with people and engaging them in conservation projects? Yeah, actually, I would say at first, when you're introducing a project to the communities, any community that I've worked with, the first, the first you see, like, they, they feel as if you're coming in to take out their resources, you're coming in to, to, to destroy their life or you're not bringing any benefit to them. Mm-hmm. But once you start implementing the project, you see the interest of the community is growing, the interest of people wanting to be part of the project and wanting to, be, to benefit from the project. And that is something that... Any project manager or any project officer has to really understand that working with the, you can't, it's very hard sometimes to just bring in an idea in the community and they will 100% accept it, accept the, the concept. So we'll have, we still have some restrict or some community, some people, either it can be leaders, local leaders in the area or other people who have interest, for example, in that area. For example, in the, in this Ethiopian project, we might find that us as conservationists, we are interested in conserving this uh, grassland area or this rangeland for the bird. But you can see some communities, some leaders have an interest in that area because they see this area is very fertile. So they want to come in and do commercial farming. And once they do the commercial farming, the habitat for the species is now destroyed and the species will eventually die. So having trying to understand the different dynamics or different uh, different composition of community people in the in an area it's very important and trying to merge or trying to bring everyone to to one com- to one meeting and understanding that this is our interest and this interest serves everyone it's not a selfish interest so it's not something that we are coming to bri- to take away their resources is there a story you can tell me about a particular time, a meeting, or a conversation you've had where you had a really important breakthrough with a person or a group of people? Um, I would say I don't have one that was really, like, really hard or really difficult to make a decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because sometimes, as I say, the projects, the pro- how we would work with the projects, we work with the local community, the local partners. So, for example, in this uh, Ethiopian project, we've been working with uh, uh, local partners. One of them is SOS Sahel, Ethiopia, mm-hmm. and the other one is called uh, Ethiopian Wildlife Natural History Society. So those are the two partners who, because of their availability in the community anytime and their readiness, they're available to meet the communities. They're the ones who've dealt with the communities. And uh, learning from them or hearing from them, it's, uh, they've actually said that sometimes working with the policymakers or working with the local government in the, in the area, it's, it's very hard. It's very hard to convince the community, the, these leaders that the grassland, the rangeland is important for the community and is also because the, the rangeland is a communal ra- uh, land. So they, they, were able to say, they were able to share the experience that convincing the local people that, or the local uh, policymakers that this grassland should be conserved for the benefit of the community and for the habit, for the biodiversity has been one of the challenging uh, 
factor, one challenging issue for them. And uh, as, you, as you know, in Africa countries, sometimes it's hard to really deal with policymakers and to all the leaders or political leaders who have power, who have, they can do anything at any time. But I will say the project, the current project is slowly trying to achieve or slowly trying to change the mindsets of the political leaders and the local leaders. Yeah, so I'd be interested in hearing a little bit more about that, actually. It sounds like you've described in quite a lot of detail the focus on communities and pastoralists, but what work are you doing with policymakers looking at that, I suppose, level yeah, of, that is, level is, of yeah. higher power where power is concentrated? Yeah, actually that is, since the project is coming to an end and we've just uh, recently come from the field, I think uh, we are, I was in the field last month in June, and actually, meeting the communities, we've really understood that that is one of the key issues or one of the problems that we need to face. And the current project, actually, we were not able to really bring it out clearly or we, didn't, we were not able to really meet the, the policymakers themselves. So as a follow-up or as a next step to this activity or to this project, our main, our main one of the main outputs or one of the main Things that we need to do is to clearly bring the responsible, clearly bring uh, policymakers who are actually the ones who influence uh, policies in Ethiopia and particularly in this uh, area, Liban Plain, and bring them on board because that is one of the weaknesses that I've noticed in the current project. So, at, as per this project, I'm not able to tell you like exactly this is what we've done with the policymakers, but yeah, yeah, yeah. the next phase, yeah, like the next phase, because through the lessons that we've learned in the current one, the next phase is to really bring them on board and let them know that this species is important, that this area is important for the communities, and so they can be able to come in and support the project. And have you got experience from other projects you've worked on of engaging with policymakers, or will that be something that's new new for you? Uh, I've actually, personally, I've not been able to work with the policymakers directly, as I said, because of the uh, sometimes how bad life okay or how bad life works. As I said, we work through partners. Yeah. So most of the most of the policy the policy issues, the partners are able to work with with support from. Our policy department. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're yeah. working with you're working with partners in each of the countries and supporting yes. them, but those partners in the countries are the ones doing with doing the engagement with their their country policymakers. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because bad life, as I said, is a partnership organization. We work with different partners in each country, so they're the ones who actually do the local work themselves in terms of going to the list policymakers and meeting with them and. But if they need support, then the support comes from Badly. But they're the ones who are supposed to lead the process. Hmm. Yeah. I want to I want to turn back a little bit to, to the birds and the wildlife. I was wondering if during the pastoralist project or during the Lake Victoria project, or maybe at another point, are there any particularly memorable or special moments of seeing birds or other wildlife that stand out in your in your memory? Yeah, yes. Okay, yeah, for me, um, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of species that I've seen which yeah. are memorable. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I've actually, I usually during my free time, or I like doing, going for hikes, mountain climbing. So I've actually gone to climb Mount Kenya, and my next project is 
climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in August. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like going out and uh, bad, bad, doing bad watching or just walking and hi- enjoying the hike. And uh, one of the wildlife, apart from the birds, one of the wildlife that I really like to see or enjoy seeing every time or I don't I usually don't get bored seeing that animal is giraffe. A giraffe. I usually like anytime I see a giraffe it's just a memorable moment for me. I just enjoy I just feel as if it's the first time I'm seeing a giraffe or it's, I feel it's wow. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> the way the way it walks it just makes me feel like oh it just take one step at a time, enjoy the moment. And uh, I don't know how to say, but watching or seeing a giraffe is actually for me a most enjoyable moment for me. When was the last time you saw one? Ah, last month. Because I usually travel, I usually go to here in Nairobi National Park. Yeah? So once okay you don't have to really you don't have to actually go into the Nairobi National Park to see the giraffe because sometimes when you're passing by there's a road that is passing next to the park so when you're passing there in the morning you just see the giraffes walking there so you're like wow this is just amazing (laughs) (laughs) okay um yeah so I just got a few questions left so I wanted to ask who are some of the conservationists who have inspired you and I wanted to ask that in particular because obviously you've been the way that I came across you was you were picked out as one of the one of the kind of leading um yeah. women amongst the BirdLife International family of uh you know staff around the world so your yeah. story is is and your work is quite inspiring and I wondered who it is that that has inspired you in your work uh, actually, the one who was who inspired me or who is have been inspiring me, inspiring me ever since is uh, one of our own. She's 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 already she died like in twenty two thousand eleven. Madai, I think you've heard of her. Yeah. Wangare yeah. Madai, yeah, yeah. She, I've read her story, I've watched her video, and uh, for me, the way whatever the way she passed through a lot of uh, resistance or a lot of. Uh, pushbacks from the community from the government from her own family and f- for her she knew what exactly she wanted to do she wanted to do environmental conservation she wanted to empower women she wanted to fight for women's rights and making sure that we any development is sustainable for me she was able to or i'm able to learn from her in terms of i have to be a strong woman i have to really fight or i have to really concentrate or be focused on the aim or the goal that I want to achieve in life, which is environmental conservation and in, in, in by extension working with the communities because that is one of the things that I enjoy, understanding the communities, the way they work and uh, trying to help them in terms of either conserving the, the resources that they are enjoying from or they are benefiting from and also empowering them, letting them that they are not alone. So Wangarimadai is one of my inspiration that I have to like keep on moving, keep on pushing and Eventually, things are going to work out. The small things that I do have big impacts in the future. So she's my biggest fan. Um, <laughs> and are there any books in particular that have inspired you or been important, whether it's books by Vangari Matai or by, by other people? Yeah, yeah. One well, apart from one by Wangari Matai, The Unbowed, uh, there's one that I've 
recently read Lean In by Shirley Sandberg. I don't know if you've heard her. It's called about. It's about. It talks about women work and the and the will to do uh, or the will to lean live. In. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lean yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. So that is one of the books that I keep on reading and trying to refresh my mind that I am a woman and I have to lead and I have to work hard. It's not like I'm a woman, so everyone has to to pity me or someone has to know that oh you're a woman, so you have to do this because you're special. You're a woman. No, no, no. I have the skills. I have the will to do so. I can do it and I can lead. Yeah, I read in the in the quote on that article on the BirdLife International website, you said you feel that conservation needs more, not just more women, but also more women in leadership roles. Are there any, yeah. are there any particular behaviours or techniques you've tried to adopt, whether it's because of reading Lean In or um, outside of that to, to kind of, I don't know, reinforce, reinforce that? Is there anything that you've tried to change to increase your leadership so, uh, for me what i usually do i like uh, working or getting involved in or working together with people who have ambitions or who have future goals and most of the time you may, i might find myself working with mainly with men or being in a group of men i'm the only lady who is doing something different because I'm like, okay, I don't have to see myself as a woman. So, like, I feel I have to be given a special treatment or I have to be given anything special. Mm -hmm. So, what I do is I try to work with whoever, or in this, in this case, most of the time, I would men, whoever has this, uh, the goal, or whoever has that. We, have, we share the same goals in terms of conservation or in terms of leading and putting aside emotions or putting aside the fact that you feel like men are going to look down to you they are going to look down upon you so for me that's actually what i do i like engaging more with men and working with them okay so i don't know yeah and reading i'm trying so actually i don't have uh i've never or in my past i've not been able to read a lot of books but currently since actually this year i've been trying to make sure that i read at least a book a day or a well, few few pages in a, for a book a day or a, one a, one book per month so slowly i'm trying to empower myself and also i'm trying to making sure that um i'm able to remind myself myself what i need to do in terms of conservation in terms of working with the people and and uh leading sharpening my skills in leading in leadership mm, that's really interesting yeah and um is there any message or advice you would give to um young or not necessarily just young but i suppose new people entering the conservation profession or is there any advice that they might be given that you would tell them to actually ignore <laughs> yes uh yeah one of the advice i'd like to give uh, people is that any field any professional field has their own has its own challenges and the conservation field is for me, at, at this moment, I find it to be very, very challenging in terms of uh, fundraising and in terms of making having more donors on board and be able to fund for the conservation activities. So for for any newcomer or any young conservationists who are trying to come on board and then probably they find that uh, there is not enough resources, financial resources to support their work or there is not enough resources to get, for them to get employed, they, need, they, they really need to know that it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come like 
immediately once you want to do something and the money is already there, you have to slowly work or slowly uh, make small steps and be able to achieve uh, activities that you want to do. And uh, <coughs> sorry. And as I said, uh, the issue of uh, people saying that oh, conservation has uh, mainly it's already men. Men are working in that field. You don't. You can't find a job in Kenya. You can't. It's hard to find uh, job opportunities in Africa. So you don't need to actually get into the field. But for me, it's you have to be taken or you have to let your passion, let yourself be driven by your passion. If your passion is in conservation and taking care of the environment and management uh, issue, uh, environmental management. Take, take the initiative and take one step and eventually be able to do. Because for me, once I see a positive outcome from my project or from different activities that I do, I always feel, feel happy and also feel that, yes, I've made uh, an impact and I've also changed people's lives in whatever small uh, actions or in whatever small step that I've been able to do. So anyone coming in, take heart, do your, whatever your heart feels to do and whatever your passion is go for it okay that's that's a really nice message thank you i think that might be a, that might be a good note to end on i often let, yeah, let me ask my final let me ask my final question and maybe you've just okay. answered it so my final question to people is often if you could put a message whether it's a quote from someone else or whether it's just a message from yourself on a giant billboard for thousands of people to or millions of people to read what would that what would that message be uh, hmm. <clears throat> the, the message I think for me will go for there's a quote by Oprah Oprah Winfrey mm-hmm. that says honest and brave the new manifesto for women in the workplace mm. nice. yeah just being honest and brave mm-hmm. <laughs> yes yeah so that is one of the message or one of the quotes I'll be able to let other women know or even other people know that if you need to be honest and you need to be brave in any workplace I really, really like that. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Mercy, is there anything else that you wanted to say or that I haven't asked about that you'd like to talk about? Yes, I'd really like to talk about one project that uh, mm. I am I'm doing. Eh? And this is uh, not necessarily linked to bad life, yeah. but it's in conservation and also conservation and saving species. So in uh, I come from a community or an area called Kinangop. And uh, at the moment, I'm working. I'm supporting the local conserv- the local community in uh, in uh, in uh, conserving the the sharp's longclaw. Sharp's longclaw is a endemic bird, and it's endangered. Yeah, it's endangered. So, so what? We, and they, this is a grassland bird. So the concept is the community. They have a workshop, a wool spinning workshop, and the, the idea is since this is a wool spinning workshop and the grassland bird, the sharp's longclaw, prefers a grassland habitat which is short and has tussocks. And the community or the farmers in that area, they keep uh, livestock, both livestock and crop farming. So what the project is doing or what uh, the, yeah, the project is doing, which is funded by Ruford Small Grant. So what the project is doing, which I was able to get the grant, is to work with the communities to slowly move from life from uh, crop farming or be able to set aside part of the grassland which are privately owned, set aside the grassland area, which the species can be able to survive, which either by roosting or breeding, they can be able to survive. And the farmers are able to keep hybrid 
sheep, which are uh, in this case is the corridor. And by keeping this species or this uh, breed, the corridor, the local communities who are managing the wool spinning workshop are able to buy the wool from the community and uh, process the wool to finish products, either floor mats, either scarves or sweaters, any product that can be made from the wool. So the project is what we were doing. The project was able to purchase or to buy rams, hybrid rams, and give to specific community or specific members of the communities who have suitable habitat for the sharp's long claw. And in turn, we were able to support them by buying the wool at a, at a good price at a good price and they're able to encourage them to retain or they're able to encourage we're able to encourage them to maintain the grassland for these species. And in turn, the the other communities or the other group which is running the wool spinning are able to benefit or they're able to be empowered and they're also to they're able to work and earn a living from working with the products, working with the wool spinning uh, workshop. So this is this is this initiative initiative for me is also something that is I see communities or I see the farmers, they're happy, they're able to sell, they have a ready market for their wool products. And this other community or these other members who are working in the wool spinning, they're able to see or they're able to sell their products, which is purely organic, purely, they're they, they not using any chemicals or not. It's purely organic products. And, uh, and in return, we're able to maintain or able to conserve the grassland birds through maintaining their habitat. That's a really, really neat example yeah. and encapsulation of of what you're doing. So you're so it's so I think I came across the this story in the course of doing some background reading and it it mm -hmm. people can read more about this project on the Rufford Foundation website, can't they? I think they've got yeah. a page yes. about it, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, yeah, they have. And and what's the status of the Sharps long claw? Is it in, endangered or critically endangered or vulnerable no it's it's uh, it's endangered okay so it's important yeah. to be preserving preserving this habitat yeah yeah it's very important and also the, i think the main challenge that the grassland bird or the sharp long is facing is uh since the grassland is privately owned so you see most of the people tend to cultivate or tend to convert their land to crop farming which they think it's it's uh, profitable, which at some time it's not profitable because of the change, climate change, because now we have a lot of frost, drought or dry period, so the crops are actually failing. Right, okay, so this, yeah, this shift yeah. over to livestock that graze on the grasslands is more sustainable mm. economically, yeah. environmentally, but also is more resilient for the farmers to future for climate change as, as well, yeah? Yes, yes, yes. And is the market for the wool they're selling, is that a local market or are they selling it to international markets or? For the wool product? Yes. Yeah, for, uh, for like for us, for the wool spinning, it's called Jabini Wool Crafters Cooperative. For, uh, for that cooperative of the workshop, they sell both local and international. International, this is through friends. People who know about us are able to recommend to, to different people and able to purchase or any tourist who comes around and know, learns about our workshop, they come to the workshop and they're able to buy the products. So we are both local and international. So is there any way for people from other countries to support the project or, or not really? Yeah, they can because we have, we have a website. It's called Jabini Woodcrafters Cooperative Society. Is a website where you can be able to go in and be able to get the contact and how to help. 
Oh, can you send me the exact web address and then I'll include it in the notes that accompany this episode? Yes, I will do that. That would be great. Thank you. Yeah, um, because, uh, but at the moment is still under construction, but it's there. Mm-hmm. You can open and see it, but background is still doing some background uh, construction, background information. They can be able to help us. And also, if possible, I don't know if it would be uh, appropriate for me to share with you the the companies or the workshop uh, profile. Yeah, that's fine. Profile, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you can be able to look at it and support in any way. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, send, send all that through and I'll include it in the notes that go along with then, the episode. That would be great. Okay. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic, mercy. Thank you so much. That was yes. such an interesting yes, conversation. <laughs> yes, it was. I'm so happy to work too. Now um, I feel more happy and... Uh, that I've made, I'm able to share my story, I'm able to talk to people, I'm able to, to talk to a wider community or wider audience about what I do and what Bad Life does and also what other local community groups are doing. It's very, I'm very happy. Good. Well, if there's ever anything, any, you know, shorter stories or projects that you want to share in the future and you just want to record, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to record a 10 minute episode with me or a 15 minute episode, then then just let me know and we can always... I really hope you enjoyed that conversation and you can find more of them at wildvoicesproject.org on Twitter at wildvoicesproj or by subscribing to the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks very much and until next time.